Hello. Thanks for listening to our Fusion Sermon Podcast. Fusion is a worshiping community within Hardawike Ministries. We gather at 1030 a.m. in the Red Brick Church Building on the Hardawike campus on the corner of 160th and Lakewood in Holland, Michigan. We invite you to join us in person when you are able. To learn more about our Fusion community and Hardawike Ministries, please visit hardawike.com. This morning, we, we continue to work our way through the sermon series, Believe. And uh, we've started considering some of the core truths, what scripture teaches, what does it mean to think like Jesus is a way we've been kind of framing that. We've already looked at questions around who is God, what is salvation, what is the Bible, who, who am I uh, as a believer of G- in Jesus Christ, who are we as the church, who, are, who is humanity as those who bear the image of God and yet this reality of sin that's very real in our world, Last week we talked about and we considered this call of God for us to be people of compassion. And we remembered last week that it's a call that that comes with a, a very real cost, right? The English word for compassion literally just means to suffer with or to walk with others. This morning we, we consider another core truth that really helps us view that cost, uh, the time, the resources of compassion uh, through a helpful and proper perspective and it's through the lens of stewardship. We're going to be talking about stewardship this morning. Here, here we're, we're going to be looking at a significant paradigm shift from ownership to stewardship and all of the implications that follow. If you're like, what are you talking about? Ownership to stewardship. We'll get there. Hopefully by the end you'll understand what this paradigm shift is. From ownership to stewardship. Our launching pad this morning, how we're going to get there is uh, this understanding of who God is that's found in Psalm 24, uh, which opens with this core confession uh, of God's people regarding the Lord, a confession. What do we believe about God? We're going to read this this confession of belief in verse 1, and then we're going to be jumping off from Psalm 24 throughout our time this morning. And so our passage is Psalm 24. We're going to be reading the whole psalm, and if you're willing, if you're able, I just invite you to stand as we hear God speak to us through his word this morning. Psalm 24, verses 1 through 10. It's a psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord almighty. He is the king of glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, this morning we, we also thank you for uh, this book of, of psalms that's found in your word. Lord, a prayer book, a song book, a book that, that allow, gives us words to, to express what we are experiencing and what we are going through 
words that direct our hearts to you, who is our sovereign Lord. And so Lord, as we study this psalm, as we study other passages of scripture this morning around this idea of stewardship, Lord, may you direct our hearts and draw us up into your presence, into your grace, and into your mercy. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Back in 2015, Yvonne and I and Emmeline at the time, were in Southern California visiting her family. Uh, The reason we were in Southern California was uh, I had signed up to attend the the CRC Prayer Summit, which was taking place in Lakeview Terrace at All Nations Church, uh, the community just outside of Los Angeles. And uh, during that trip, I had to figure out how to get from Chino, California to Lakeview Terrace, and so I rented a car. Uh, I have not rented a car all that often, uh, but I rented uh, a pretty sweet yellow ride. I got a picture up there on the upper left. It's not a super nice car, uh, but it was uh, gas efficient. It was, I think they call those compact cars. So yeah, it was compact, Uh, but it uh, it it was a nice car. Surprisingly, it did really well jumping curbs and off-roading. I'm just kidding. I didn't do any of that. But it's a rental car, right? So that's what you get. You get a a rental car. And so I took that down to All Nations Church. I'll fast forward a couple years. We got the the picture on the right. It was 2017, serving a church in Grand Rapids. And I surprised Yvonne for a date night. Uh, And we, on that date night, actually drove to Holland, Michigan, beautiful city of Holland, Michigan. Went to Alpen Rose. How many of you miss Alpen Rose? Yeah, went went to Alpen Rose for dinner and then uh, took the car to uh, the state park. And uh, what made it super special, uh, as you can see, we don't own a Corvette, um, uh, but but someone from the church that that we were serving, uh, a friend of ours, uh, let us borrow his dark red Chevy Corvette. And uh, it was pretty sweet. And so we're driving to Holland in this Corvette and just smiling and taking pictures. And I think for the first time in my life, I I parked where no one else was parking, you know? Like I never felt compelled to do that. Uh, but, but that time I, I parked on my own in the middle of the parking lot at the state park. But anyway, it was, it was a great time. Uh, and then uh, back in 2007... We, we moved to Michigan from California. I had sold uh, a little Mazda Protégé yellow hatchback. It was a sweet car. Uh, but, but Yvonne and I bought our first car together. And uh, you'll see that wild picture in the bottom left uh, of me wearing the mullet wig. Anyway, the point of that picture is the car behind me. So anyway, you get the bonus of me dressed up as Billy Ray Cyrus or whatever it was. Uh, but that car was a, was a 1992 Toyota 4Runner. It was dark red. It had lived in the Midwest for a long time, and so it was rusted and it was tired. If, if you could zoom in on that picture, uh, you'll see that there's like this like... Uh, not like, like that metal tape. I kind of did my own body work to cover up some of the rust. You're like, you're at a trunk or treat. Why isn't your trunk open? It didn't open, okay? So, <laughs> so I had a bowl. Like, so it wasn't the nicest vehicle, but it was a lot of fun. Um, and, and, and we 
compare that to the other car that we drove at the time, which we don't have a picture of, uh, but that was a, a, a 2002 Toyota Corolla. That was a car Yvonne bought when she was a sophomore in college, brand new off the lot. Uh, I think it's okay that she wouldn't even drive it off the lot because she, and, you know, like you could not drink water in that car because it was, it was her baby, right? So, so anyway, I, I kind of bring all this up because just the question is, which of these cars do you think we treated the best and which of these cars do you think we treated the worst? Not that we really treated them worse, but which, which car did we take the most care of? Was it the two cars we owned, whether the nice one, the Corolla, or the not-so-nice one, the Forerunner, or was it the rental, the Chevy Spark, or whatever it was, or the Corvette? Just think about that, and then think about this. What, what were the factors, what were the variables that made us treat these different vehicles slightly different or kind of treat them some, somewhat nicer? That's kind of the inner dialogue that I just want to have kind of in the background as we think about and as we consider this theme this morning of stewardship. I'm going to jump into our text. Again, it begins with a confession. Psalm 24 begins with a confession uh, in verse 1 and 2. It's one of the core truths, uh, this, this core truth anchoring our discussion. These are the words from Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters, referring to the world. Here in Psalm 24, this is kind of the core confession that we build off this whole message. It's one of these core confessions of the Judeo-Christian faith that speaks powerfully of the sovereignty of God, right? These are words that Moses uttered to Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 9. These are words that were then expanded on in case there was any confusion. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And then in verse 2, we hear the basis for making such claim that the whole earth and everything in it belongs to the Lord. Why? Because it was the Lord is the one who founded it, who established it. It is the Lord who is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And so all of the heavens and the earth belong to the Lord. One of the reformers uh, famously put it this way, Abraham Kuyper, he says this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And so from that quote, we have this, this common kind of language around that every square inch of this world belongs to the Lord. Now that has huge implications when we think about what the earth belongs, because ownership, right, ownership means a lot. And, and we kind of get this intuitively. Here, here's an example. Let's say uh, my kids and I and Yvonne, we're at, the, we're at the beach and we're building a sandcastle together. Uh, I'll let you guess who's building the sandcastle, okay? I'm the one building the sandcastle. But anyway, we build this elaborate sandcastle and the kids are helping. We're building this awesome soundcastle. And suddenly, let's just pretend that a kid walks over and just kicks the sandcastle and knocks it over, right? They say, hey, punk, what are you doing? That's our sandcastle. You can't just knock over our sandcastle. But how about this? How about at the end of our time at the beach, the kids say, can we, can we break the sandcastle? Yeah, of course. So then my kids do the very same thing that that kid did, and they break the sandcastle, and we kind of fill in our hole to be good stewards of the beach, right? And we say, of course, yeah, you, you can break your own sandcastle because it's, it's your sandcastle. You built the sandcastle. If you want to destroy the sandcastle, okay, it's your sandcastle, but don't go destroying other people's sandcastle, right? We understand the concept of, of ownership and why it's significant. 
Another kind of fun, silly example, let's say uh, in my front yard, I want to paint the, the logo of the Green Bay Packers in my front yard. You might question that. I think that's a great idea. It's my yard. I can do that. But if someone else comes by and they paint a Chicago Bears logo on my front yard, we got problems, right? It's not your yard, okay? So we kind of get the idea that ownership matters. There's implications. So when we confess that the earth and everything in it, every person in this world belongs to the Lord, that has huge implications on how we live and what we believe if we believe this truth claim. So let's talk a little bit about the implications. Here in Psalm 24, there's a shift in focus, right? It moves from this kind of declaration, this confessional declaration of the Lord in verses 1 and 2, and then it shifts to a description of the kind of people who would declare such a confession. What kind of people would declare such a thing as people who are worshiping? Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in this holy place? Talking about worship at the mountain of the Lord, right? Jerusalem. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior, such as the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. What these verses are speaking of, they're speaking of worship. This is a description of worship. When we understand who God is as our creator, when we understand and believe that God is ultimately the one who owns all the earth, the one who created the heavens and the earth and all the earth belongs to God, we are compelled to then worship God. I I love how one of the commentators of the Psalms, James Mays, put this, referring to uh, similar Psalms. He writes this, the Psalm, this kind of Psalm is liturgy, it's not law. It's not a text for some sort of judicial procedure to exclude the unqualified. Rather, it is the rehearsal of a purpose and a possibility. This kind of person, says the psalm, is what the presence intends. The presence, says the psalms, is the power that makes this kind of person possible. The presence, referring to God, calls and commands, judges and redeems. To be in the place of the presence, here's the key, means to be at the point where the purpose and power of God come to bear on a person's identity and formation. The psalm is speaking to what kind of people worship the God who is sovereign over all. I love that. Now again, there's so much more we could say about this passage of who has actually has clean eyes, who is worthy to enter the presence, and we'll talk about that Jesus role and forgiveness and redemption and all that. But for our purposes right now, just notice verse four. Because in verse four, there's areas of life that are covered. And it's not just some areas, it's all of life. Meaning that this confession of who God is, God impacts every single area of our lives. It's It's exhaustive, right? Impacts what we think, how we live, and who we worship. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Think about that. Clean hands refers to our actions, right? That are not stained by sin. A pure heart refers to our thoughts, our intentions, our motivations, that they would be pure, the inner life and the outer life, right? And then finally, this last part, does not trust in idols or swear by false gods. Here we see this has to do with trading what is true for what is false and deceptive. It's a word on idolatry. It's a word around our worship and who we give our lives to. The Lord or the presence of God impacts what we think, how we live, and who or what we worship. 
Now certainly we could, we could kind of apply this to all aspects of faith because all of our faith impacts these areas of our lives. But this morning what I want to do is talk about what, how this confession in verse 1, this reality that everything belongs to the Lord, how that impacts these different areas of our life. So let's follow the specific implications of God, everything belonging to the Lord, the implications in our life, particularly in this cultural moment, in this time and place that we live. How does the Lord's ownership impact how we think, how we live, and who and what we worship today? Are you with me? We're there. All right, let's start by this radical shift in our thinking. How does, this, how does this reality of who God is, that he, everything belongs to the Lord, impact how we think? And here's where we have a significant paradigm shift from ownership to stewardship. Because when we grasp a proper understanding of God's ownership of all things, which is what the psalm is saying, it radically changes how we perceive and understand ourselves and our things, Okay? Let's kind, of, let's kind of talk about that, beginning with the earth. First, if, if the earth belongs to the Lord, that changes how we think about and, 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 and think about the earth. It changes how we view creation. Too often, uh, people view the earth simply as a resource to be used for our own benefit, right? The earth is filled with these resources. We use these resources for our own good, right? But the earth is the Lord's. And when we think about that core confession, we're brought back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 where God places the man in the garden to work the garden, to care for, to tend the garden, right? So God owns the earth. We're called to be stewards, to be caretakers of the earth. That's the first level. Second level, it impacts how we understand ourselves, right? And today we, we think of ourselves as autonomous beings, like I am my own person, right? We value things like individual freedom for all people. Yes, we can affirm that. We assert that no person or nation or corporation should infringe individual freedoms. Like, that's a value in our, in our time, right? Yes. But notice how radical this shift is. And the shift comes in why do we value those things? It's not because I'm my own person, right? The shift comes in who we belong to. Particularly for Christians, when we acknowledge ourselves, we belong to Jesus Christ. Question and answer uh, number one of the Heidelberg Catechism. Maybe you're familiar with it. It's this powerful word of comfort. What is your only comfort in life and in death, asks the catechism. The answer is this, that I am not my own, but I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Now we recite that, rightfully so, as a powerful word of comfort, because it is. But notice what the catechism says right at the beginning. I am not my own. I am not my own person. But, but I belong. I belong to Jesus. All of me, my body, my soul, that includes my talents, my time. There's this tension here that pushes up against some of the modern assumptions of the autonomous self. That I belong to Jesus. And that's why we value freedom. That's why we value rights because we belong to Jesus. That we belong to our creator, right? Ourselves. The third area that impacts our thinking is our things, our stuff. It changes how we perceive our things and we think about privatized ownership, right? High value in our culture. Again, we value the right to private property. I'm not arguing that. It's, it's good. There's, there's something good about saving money. There's something good about buying a car or purchasing a home. Or there's something really valuable about teaching our kids good, good money sense and how to manage money. There's something good about all of that. Yes. 
But what scripture is saying is that all of our things, everything, they actually belong ultimately to the Lord. So that means our possessions, our money, our vehicles, our home, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the list could continue, ultimately belong to God. So going back to the car illustrations, it's kind of like God is letting us borrow his sweet early 2000s Corvette, right? Or letting us live in a, in, a, in a beautiful home that not every person in this world gets to live in. Like These are all gifts from God and ultimately they belong to God. And that is a drastic paradigm shift in our thinking that impacts how we live. Let's talk about how it impacts. How does this paradigm shift in our thinking impact how we live? It, it means we begin living as stewards of the generous owner. We're, we're stewards, we're managers. We manage what has been given to us by our master, our Lord. And therefore, what's important is the Lord's wishes. The language the scripture offers is this language of stewardship. In the, in the New Testament, the word stewardship or steward, uh, the root is oikos. And so oikos means home or family. And so it's really this family, this household manager, uh, right? And so you're managing the, 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 the things in the life of the family, right? So stewardship, whether it's our time, whether it's our talents, whether it's our treasures, we are managers, we are stewards of what God has given, which means that it is the Lord's purposes that take precedent. Again, uh, going back to the car illustration, if it's my own car, like if it's my car, well then I can treat that car however I want, right? If it's, if it's my car, if I want to trash it, well that's my prerogative because it's, it's my car. But again, if I'm borrowing someone's car, like an early 2000s maroon Corvette, you better believe that I'm going to treat that thing exactly how I know that owner wants that car to be treated. Particularly if the person who let me borrow that car is someone that I view with a high degree of love and respect. I'm going to treat that thing that I'm borrowing exactly how he wants me to treat it. So if you want me to park in the back part of the Holland State Park, I will do that because I don't want anything to happen to what is yours. Are you with me? Changes how we live. And a proper understanding of stewardship then compels believers to use what God has given ultimately for the Lord's purposes and not for our own gain in ways that further God's kingdom purposes. There's two powerful parables that, 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 that kind of give some of this illustration, kind of give this example. One of those parables is the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. If you're familiar with the parable, there's a master. He gives uh, talents to three of his servants, or bags of gold is another way of putting it, different amounts. And the whole thing is that the servants are, 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 are meant to increase the value of the talents because that is the master's wishes, Right? The steward is simply to do what the master wishes of the, the master's things. The second parable that I think is powerful is this kind of strange parable of the, uh, in, in Luke chapter 16 of the shrewd manager. If you're familiar with this one, this, this manager, is, this, he's going to lose his job, and, 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 and so he kind of cuts deals with the different people that owe, owe the master money and kind of lessens their debt in order to create this relationship with a variety of different people. And, and mysteriously, the master's like, good job for undercutting all my loans, right? But what Jesus says, the, the, the reason he's, he's acknowledging that is because he's creating relationships with people, and relationships are what last into eternity, Human beings are what last, what are eternal, not money or things, right? And so Jesus says at the end of that parable, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves because that's what matters in eternity. 
not all the worldly wealth. In other words, what Jesus is saying is instead of using people to build wealth or using God to build our own wealth, use, use wealth, which is temporary, to build what is eternal, people and the kingdom of God. It's a paradigm shift. We are called to steward our time and our talents and our treasures for God's good purposes, not for our own selfish gain. These things are a means to God's end. They're not the end in and of themselves. And today in our culture, like we, we've used these things of wealth and goods and all in ourselves like as the ends. Like my purpose is to make myself great. You see the paradigm shift. It impacts how we live. And finally, all of this is part of our worship. All of this is part of our worship. Worship is not simply singing and praying on a Sunday morning. It is that. And this is a wonderful thing that we get to do each week. But worship is about our lives and how we live. And when we live into this vision of generous stewardship, our lives then become a declaration of worship that we trust in the Lord God Almighty, not the idols of self and stuff and money, which I think we all can recognize are some of the primary idols of our day. And when we worship in generous giving, we are giving glory to God, right? It impacts our, how we think, it impacts how we live, and it impacts our worship. To be honest, as I was just studying here, there was some names that, that came to mind. Some people who, who have lived this uh, kind of stewardship in, in a profound way. Um, our friends, Bob and Jan, um, two that come to mind. Um, Bob's a pastor at the church I served, and they would open up their home all the time. Sunday lunch, there was a spot open for anyone who needed a place to have dinner. That's stewarding your home in hospitality. But they went a step further and they opened up the lower level of their home to those who needed a place to stay. And I remember being just like blown away because there was a, a man who, who came, part of the church, who ended up living in their lower level of their home uh, because in a conversation with Bob, he would say, you know, well, God didn't give us this lower level now as empty nesters just to sit empty. And if we can bless someone in a way that makes an impact, we're gonna do that. And I was just blown away by the radical level of hospitality and generosity and graciousness of our friends. Or another example, I think of Marge who, who invested hours of her personal time pouring into and mentoring a friend giving of time and energy and resources to love someone who desperately needed to be reminded and to experience the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And she just did that for years with this friend who became such a dear person in her life. And she would have told you, it's my time. What do you mean my time? because she had a paradigm shift that her time was actually God's time and it was simply her joy to give back to those in need. And as I share just two examples, my guess is that each of us in our minds or our hearts, names and stories are kind of percolating to the surface. Am I right? Amen? You got some names. 
You got some people that have lived into this call of generous stewardship in radically gracious and generous ways. And when we think of these testimonies of people living this out, can we, can we, we can praise the Lord, amen? Praise the Lord for those who live into this. And there's something unique and beautiful when people live into this call together. It's beautiful, and it's a beautiful picture when individuals or families live into this call, but there's something unique and beautiful when people live into this call of stewardship, not just individually, but together, particularly as in the local church. What I want to talk about is, is why church? Like, like why, is, why, why church? Now, that's a huge question, and that could be a whole series on its own. Why, why is the church important, and why does God give us the gift of the church? But particularly in this, this role of stewardship, like, why, why the church, and why is that important? It's a big question, but one that begins with the call and command of Jesus. Jesus calls us the body of believers, referring to a human body, calls us the family of God, right? There's something unique about this gathering of God's people that's happening right now across this campus at Hardawake Ministries. The unique call of the church is that we do life together as God's stewards, right? And we do life together as covenant partners. Recently, Hardawake changed some of our language, right? We, we, moved, we shifted from speaking of, of membership to covenant partnerships. We've kind of been using both to kind of, to kind of make that transition. Here's why. Because the local church is not uh, just another charity or another club that asks for memberships to cover expenses. That's not what this gathering is. Now, I think membership in the past more referred to being members of the body, but I think membership has kind of taken on its own meaning in our current context. But we've been talking about community partner or covenant partnership because the church is a community, a body, a family of God, of believers who covenant, who promise to share in life together and partner in the work of the gospel. It is a deeper level of investment required to be a covenant partner because each of you is part of the body of Christ, the family of God. And when people live into a vision of stewardship together as God's people, offering time and talents and treasures, investing together in God's purposes, what we see is an abundance of fruit. Because more is possible when God's people are united around our Lord's purposes, good kingdom purposes uh, for our neighborhood and our community and our world. We are better together as God's stewards. The impact, the fruit of the local church. You don't have to look far. Just look at, look at church history. Now, we, we need to acknowledge and, and recognize that the local church has not always gotten it right. There's been ugliness beyond what we can imagine in the local church in 2,000 years. We can acknowledge that. We can own that reality. We can confess that as sin and we also need to acknowledge that when the local church has lived into her calling and purpose, it has literally changed the world. The local church living into the teachings of Jesus that does value all people because we're image bearers led to the advent of, of 
public education and hospitals and healthcare, civil rights movements and variety of social services. These ideas are rooted in the teachings of Jesus. But we don't even have to look at church history. Just, just consider for a moment how many communities that you can think of that have been positively impacted by a small local church body who is deeply invested in the neighborhoods where God had placed them. Think about churches. I can think of some in California, in Milwaukee where I grew up. I can think of some here in Holland. I can think of other. There, there is an impact. In fact, just for a moment, consider our church. Hardaway Ministries. Consider the impact. What most of us are familiar with is, is, is what we do on Sunday morning, during Sunday morning worship. And, and that's important. It's meaningful. It's good. It's essential, right? Meaningful worship, biblical teaching rooted in the gospel. It forms us and shapes us each week. What we're doing right now is absolutely essential and powerful and meaningful. Not only that, but what's happening in the basement Right now with our kids where, where there are people investing and teaching and discipling our children. Again, this time on Sunday is invaluable. And yeah, it requires financial resources, but don't also miss that it also requires an investment of time and talents from each and every one of you. The members of this worship team who are sharing their gifts to lead us in powerful worship. Those volunteers who are in the basement who are watching and teaching our kids. Those who are setting up coffee and donuts beforehand. It takes an incredible amount of investment to make what we do on Sundays happen. But I don't know about you, but when I, it took me a few months to realize the impact of this place on our community beyond Sunday mornings. I think of Neighbors Plus, and if you're not familiar with Neighbors Plus, if you're a visitor, a friend here, like, check them out. It's a community partnership based out of and birthed out of Hardaway Ministries that provides all kinds of services of grace and compassion to our community. There are three homes on this campus that offer transitional housing for families. There's ESL classes that happen in our community, a variety of food ministries, a variety of school partnerships with West Ottawa schools that involves, includes an alternative suspension program and study hub, an after-school recess program, Kids Hope mentoring of one-on-one -on -one mentoring with you and with a student, tutoring, and the list could continue. Even in the summer, there's a great escape camp because if you're a parent and your parents are working and all of a sudden school ends, it's like, what do I do with my kids? We have a great escape camp that offers an incredible option for families with working parents for kids. And again, yes, those things can't happen without funding. That's true, but they also can't happen without 100-plus committed volunteers of members of covenant partners, excuse me, I'm getting used to the language, right, from across these three campuses. There is an investment in our community. Or I think about our student ministries. Monday nights, high tide, our high school, there's dozens of high schoolers who are meeting there tomorrow night for high tide. Wednesday nights, our middle school ministries, undertow. Again, even more kids with our middle school ministry on Wednesday nights, Tuesday and Thursday. Do you realize that there is Open Anchor, which is like a drop-offs program for kids? So kids after school have a safe place where they can get a meal, or get a bite to eat, play games, and then if they want, they can have family talk and learn about Jesus. Fridays, the function. Some of you are familiar with the function. It's kind of every other month now, but seventh and eighth grade students, a, a safe place to gather. Like, and I'm just reflecting on all these things a few weeks ago. Not a few weeks ago, but a couple years ago when I first started, I started finding out all the things after I started. 
of what was happening. And I was in this kind of meeting with someone from the community. And, and what, this, was, this was her reflection as we were kind of touring and talking to Nate and talking to Jen downstairs. And, and her reflection was, well, what I'm seeing is like, like Hardaway is kind of like a hub in this community. She said that. I'm like, yeah. And what I realized is that if Hardaway Ministries was, was gone, there would be a huge void in our community. That's what I gathered from what she said. Because there is impact happening in the ministries of this church and it's not just in an hour on Sunday. It happens every day throughout the week. Ministries and partnership. And all of, these are all important ministries and here's the thing, not a single individual, not any one of us on our own could do any of these ministries well. Can you imagine like me trying to do like the function by myself? That'd just be weird, Right? Like, none of us can do that on our own, right? But when God's people come together with a shared gospel vision of seeing everyone joining in the journey of being found and formed by and following Jesus, suddenly the impact becomes exponential. And each of these ministries that I've mentioned become either entry points or touch points along this gospel journey. And suddenly lives are being transformed and communities positively impacted because of the faithful stewardship of what the Lord has given to each of us. And it could not happen by any one of us alone. It only happens in the midst of doing life together. And here's the other aspect I was thinking about this week. How can, how can we know where to invest our time and talents unless we're present in some form of community? Discovering the need. When we do life together, when we commit to be, being present here, what we do is we figure out what's happening in the lives of those that we love. And I can't tell you how many times that I've visited someone at their home who've gone through something incredibly hard. And their testimony over and over again has been, oh man, we are so thankful for the heart awake, the heart awake body because we've felt loved and supported through this journey that we've been on. And the support they've received been, has been time, just people showing up and offering their presence. The, the support they've received has been talents and gifts and, and people building or doing construction work at their house, things that they could never accomplish on their own, as well as financial resources, providing financial assistance in ways that there's something powerful about when the people of God come together and live into a vision of generous stewardship. And now I'm out of breath. <laughs> and as we close, friends, at the end of the day, it all comes back to Jesus. Psalm 24 ends with verses 7 through 10, which is another shift in the Psalms. The, the psalmist starts talking about the King of glory and welcoming the King of glory. And as Christians, our, we read this and our hearts are directed to Jesus. Our hearts are directed to Jesus because Jesus was the only one who lived a life worthy, the only one who had clean hands and a pure heart, whose life, whose very life was an act of worship. Jesus lived a perfect life of generous stewardship because Jesus offered everything. Think about that. Jesus offered everything. Everything Jesus had, his time, his energy, his focus, and his very life was offered to fulfill God's purpose to bring salvation and reconciliation between humanity and the Father. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. And friends, at the end of the day, 
This gospel is the most important thing we are called to be stewards of. Don't miss that. The gospel is the most important thing we are called to be stewards of. More than our time, more than our talents, more than our treasure. In fact, all of this go toward this end. But to be good stewards of the most precious gift we have, which is the good news that Jesus Christ has entered this world, gave his life, rose again, so that we might be in relationship with God the Father. That is the best gift that we can steward and the best gift we can offer. Ultimately, that's our shared call, to leverage our time, to leverage our talents and our treasure, to share the good news of the kingdom in word and deed to our community so that they would experience the love of God. I love how the Apostle Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 4. It's on the screen. He says, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, referring to the gospel. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. Our call as the church of Jesus Christ is to steward this gift that we have received, the good news of Jesus Christ, which is in many ways a mystery, but it is the salvation that God brings. Let's pray and ask God how we might continue to partner in this work. Will you join me? Lord God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for this truth that the earth is the Lord's and everything and that the world and all who live in it. Lord, everything we have, everything we see, it belongs to you. You are the Lord over every square inch of this world. And Lord, you have a plan. You have a plan of redemption. Jesus Christ, you came into this world. The gospel reminds us that you stepped into our brokenness. You died on a cross. You rose again. And in that, we are united with you, those of us who believe. Lord, this is the greatest gift that we can receive. It's the greatest gift that we can offer. And so, Lord, reveal to us how we can increase our partnership to share this good news with our neighbors, with our friends, with our community, and with our world. Lord, continue to give us discernment, continue to give us direction so that we might live more fully into this identity of who we are as children of God. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To learn how to get involved in our Fusion community or how to support Hardawike Ministries, please visit us at hardawike.com.